Goals with Soul, the podcast for visionary coaches and entrepreneurs, building your business with inspired action. In alignment with your mission and authentic message, so you can create impact for your soul clients and feel lit up every day. I'm your host, Joe Ingram, married mum of three daughters from London and a former ad agency director turned business coach and strategist. In Goals with Soul, we blend revenue generation with energetics, marketing strategies with pranic healing, and ambitious business goals with our soul's desires. If you're looking to build your business with less efforting and more ease, this is the podcast for you. Let's dive in. Welcome to Goals with Soul. If you're new to the show, I'm Joe Ingram, brand messaging strategist and business coach, helping ambitious coaches to create impact and scale their income with brand messaging clarity and client attraction strategies. And that's why I am so excited to introduce my guest today, Nick James. Nick is the founder of Expert Empires and has scaled multiple companies to seven figures and beyond. In fact, I met Nick at the most recent Expert Empires events here in London, and he inspired me with a story about how somebody had reached out to him, somebody that couldn't afford to attend the event, and offered their services in event management for free, in return for just getting in the room and listening to some of the outstanding speakers that were there. Nick shared that just that morning, one of his mastermind students had handed back their ticket because they were unable to go. And he instantly gifted this person the ticket because they had reached out. They'd offered value in return. They had taken a chance and asked for what they wanted. And that story was still ringing in my mind at 5am the next morning when I woke up with a slight hangover from the great socialising event we'd had the night before. And the first thought on my mind was... I'm going to reach out and invite Nick onto Goals with Soul. I knew that the value he would share would be amazing, but I did not know that within an hour he would have said yes. I believe he was in the gym, whereas I was still feeling a little sore-headed. But I took this as confirmation that, yeah, sometimes you do just have to take a chance. You have to put your neck out. You have to ask for what you want. You have to be willing to add value and create opportunities. And those are some of the lessons that Nick is going to share with us today. Coming up, he's going to talk about the strategies it takes to succeed and the four key disciplines you have to focus on in equal measure. His formula for six and seven figure business success is born of his past failures from dropping out of university to spectacularly failing at his first coaching business. Nick was 24 when he finally found the winning formula and Expert Empires is now the UK's number one business event for expert speakers. He's had people like Gary Vee, Grant Cordone, Lewis Howes, who I saw when I was there, as well as some homegrown UK talent like Carrie Green and Lisa Johnson. As if this wasn't enough, one of the most unique things about Nick was the fact that he was working alongside Tony Robbins' team from the age of 12. Nick's experienced both the ups and downs it takes to create a successful business. And I love how he shares it all with complete transparency. Let's dive in. Welcome to Goals with Soul. I'm Joe Ingram. And today my guest is Expert Empire's Nick James. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. Absolutely. And as I just shared with the listeners about how I came across you and was so inspired by the work that you do with Expert Empires, something that I would just love to start off with because my mouth dropped open when you started talking about it was your experience with the Tony Robbins organization from a really young age. And my first thought of this was, what could I be right now if I'd have got into that then? And so what is life like to kind of grow up with that kind of mindset work? Yeah, I mean, I always share that I, I do count myself extremely fortunate, extremely lucky to have had the opportunity to be around kind of personal development, um, self-improvement from such a, a young age. Um, as I probably shared, uh, Joe, with you before, my mum my was actually, um, she was going on her own personal development journey, um, you know, in my kind of early teens and invited me to go along to these Tony Robbins seminars. And so I, I literally spent from the age of 12 to like 19. So for like seven years, we traveled all over the world, America, Australia, the Far East, all over Europe, um, initially attending uh, these seminars and, and going on our own kind of personal development journey. And then later on, um, my mum became a trainer for Tony's organization. Um, and I used to um, get flown all over the world to kind of work at the events, um, which ranged from, you know, like manning registration desks to 
taking care of like the AV setup and everything. So I kind of learned everything there was to learn about running events when I was a kid from the person, the people I still believe to this day to be the best in the world at it. Oh my goodness, outstanding. I joined Tony Robbins at the UPW event in London in 2019. And that was my first real interaction with that organization. And to have 10,000 people in a room and it running the way it did and to walk us over fire, for goodness sake, was just blows your mind. And really, I can see how it's given you not only your mindset stuff, but also this great inroads into running these phenomenal events of which I took part in your most recent one. So I can see firsthand how that professionalism, but not just that, but with ease and excitement for everyone really, really rubs off. So I was just curious to to dive into that a bit more. Like, what did you take from that experience that has really set you up as both man and business owner in your current, what, multiple seven-figure manifestation? Yeah, I think the bit that no one really pays attention to or that most people miss, the most valuable thing that I got from, you know, probably, like I said, eight years in that environment and, and then continued... Um, working in in the kind of industry I, I worked for an NLP training company in sales and then became a speaker for them uh, in my early 20s all of the success that I've built probably from my early 20s to now which is like you know 16 years um, has really come about because of the connections that I created the relationships I built the people that I got to know um, like I've still got clients today that I met when I was a teenager and they weren't clients then obviously but I got to know them and then when I built my business later on there were people that I'd already built a lot of goodwill and connection with and so they, they found it quite easy to decide to become a client, a customer of ours so I think the bit that people underestimate is the relationships, the connections that you know there isn't many people in this world this industry that I can't get to quite easily but that comes from that's not because I've been so good at building connections over the last year or two it's because I've been doing it for the last decade or two um so that 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 bit I think is underestimated yes of course the personal development journey the work on my mindset um and my development, of course, was huge. Um, and of course, you know, being up close and personal with the Tony Robbins business and seeing how they operated from the inside has been incredibly insightful. But the bit that I think gets overlooked often is the people that I surrounded myself with for many years and the connections I made and I've been able to leverage ever since. Oh, my goodness. I mean, clearly you're really masterful at that relationship building piece. But I think you might be just a little bit modest here as well, because you are the common denominator in all of this. And it's the relationships with you that are really elevating your success and your brand. And what I'm so curious about, because I specialize in brand messaging, particularly, and what I teach is that it's really about bringing the whole you of you and diving into all of the different things that you have to leverage that really light you up. So I was curious, Nick, what is it about you, at least that you would say, makes you stand out and unique? And I know that you've got like so much going on as a father and, you know, as someone that's interested in so many different things. How do you bring that to make a brand that people are so resonant with and so compelled to get involved with? Yeah, th- this could be a long wind answer. So I'll do <laughs> um, Look, you're asking me a question about myself. I could talk about myself all day, right? Um, look, th- there's an old adage, which is the most important relationship you're ever going to have is a relationship you have with yourself. And I think from 12 years of age to like 19, those years, those seven years are in most cases, the years where you have the most challenging relationship with yourself, where you're trying to get to know who you really are and, and, you know, decide what you stand for and what your values are and all that kind of stuff. And by the way, mine were no different. Mine were no different. Like I was not particularly confident I didn't really stand out as a kid as a teenager so like you know if you went and interviewed all my friends from school they'd be like yeah I'll I'll tell you what I was like if you've ever seen the tv show the in-betweeners that was me I do know it (laughs) 
I wasn't the coolest or the best sports person. I also wasn't like a complete loser that no one wanted to be around. I was like an in-between, right? And and so I think that, and that's, yeah, you know, it was pretty normal. Um, the difference was I had all this education and experience and, and was surrounding myself with these amazing people outside of the traditional education piece. And, and you know what? I'm not even sure the impact was that obvious in those years. I think where the impact became obvious have been in the later years where, you know, when I think about how I do business now, um, and look, I, I'm, I don't for a second think that I'm better than anybody else in particular or anything like that. But what I will say is I feel like I'm quite comfortable in doing things my way. So, um, you know, Joe, you've been to my events. I think what you see on stage is exactly what you're going to get off stage. Um, I'm certainly not going to stand on stage and pretend I've got all the answers and that I know it all because I don't and I haven't. Um, and equally, um, I'll happily share, you know, what I've done that's worked, the mistakes I've made, the whole nine yards. And I think in our world, I think people are trying to portray themselves as perfect, which actually, because we all know that doesn't exist, it kind of puts people off a little bit. Um, I suppose it's probably, a, a, it's a symptom or it's an example of the world we live in now today, the culture we're in, where, you know, everything's Instagram filtered to be perfect. And it's just not, um, in, it's not real. And so I think the average person struggles to relate to that perfection and it feels unattainable and so I think you know um, and I like to combine every different part of my life in my business so you know I've, my kids come to our events um, they look they love getting a couple of days off school more than anything because they're normally in the week um, they you know I, I share a lot on socials on Instagram that you know on a on a Saturday morning it is not glitz and glam. It's I'm wearing my trackies and most of the time it's pissing it down and muddy and I'm linesman for my son's football team. Like that's the reality of it. And so I think a lot of times we're, we're trying to portray something that isn't real. Um, and so like, I think being at peace with who you are and what you're good at. And by the way, a lot of people are on the opposite side of the spectrum. They're not comfortable with saying what they're good at either. So it's like they're either trying to be Instagram perfect and saying they're the master of everything. That's not true. Or they're scared to say, oh, I'm really good at this. And I think actually the, the, the balance is somewhere in the middle where you go, hey, you know what? I'm comfortable in myself to say I'm really good at this and I think I can really help you. But at the same time, don't make any mistakes or think I'm perfect because I'm not and hear all my faults and failures um, and lessons I've learned. And I think the ability to do both of those things from a, a place of well, one of our core values in our business um, is we practice self-awareness and humility. And I think those two things together are key to have the self-awareness to go, hey, I'm really good at this and not, not feel embarrassed to say that, but also the humility to not portray yourself as perfect. I think that's what makes somebody approachable, um, relatable, and therefore you're more likely to do business with them. Well, I mean, all of that is so true. Being grounded is just something that if you're not going to be in a space where you can feel really just comfortable with who you are and what your gifts are and where your brilliance lies, then you're never going to sell. But likewise, if you can't resonate and attract people by being vulnerable and authentic, you're going to have the opposite problem. I love the way that you've put that. And I love as well that you share very much in your bio and on your website about your early failures. I know that you dropped out of university and I know that your first coaching business failed. And my understanding is, is that those experiences really helped you then work out what you were doing wrong, what you need to do differently, where you went on to build several businesses that have done tremendously well. Are you happy to share like those key lessons in that early stage that probably took you to that first big business breakthrough? Yeah. And by the way, even after the first business breakthrough, there was still a load of screw ups afterwards. And it's important <laughs> to share that too. So, so yeah, I think, um, you know, I often talk about my first coaching business, which I think a lot of people 
who have a desire to start a business probably have a similar experience to this. Like I had the idea, but I had no clue about how to run a business. So I just did the best I could at the time, which was rubbish. So I went, well, like I'd been around the Tony Robbins NLP world all through my teenage years. So, I, and, and the bit that I often don't share was I was actually um, flown over to San Diego for a week to coach at a um, Tony Robbins kids camp. So there was like teenagers from all over the world. Um, the, there was probably three, 400 teenagers that came to this event for a week. And I was one of the coaches there. Um, and I'm probably like 19, 20 at this point. And I, I came back and I was like, that was incredible. Absolutely like loved every minute of it. And that maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I decided to become a youth coach. Um, and teach this, you know, NLP and personal development in schools and have this big vision for it. But I had no clue about marketing. I had no clue about sales. I, like, I had, the idea, by the way, I still believe is a good concept. Um, and I know people that have made businesses like this work since. So the, the, the idea wasn't flawed. I was perfectly capable of speaking coaching i was good at those things but i was rubbish at business so you know as i often share i had one client that was a referral from my mum um she was coaching the parents and then the daughter was struggling so they brought me in to coach um her and, and but that was it i didn't know how to get clients i didn't know how to market myself or sell at all um and that so so i ended up going and taking a job working for an nlp training company in their sales department and that was like the best experience I ever had. As you mentioned, I dropped out of university. Um, I was doing business studies, ironically, and then failed after that with my first business because I didn't learn anything usable at university, practical. I learned more in three months working in sales for this small training company than I had in three years at uni um, because I learned how to operate and run a small business. And then when I left, that company a couple of years later, then I knew how to go about taking those first steps. Like how do you get your first few clients? How do you position yourself in the market? How do you utilize your existing contacts and audience? And I did all of that. Um, and that's how I ended up getting the first business off the ground. Yeah, it's so inspiring. There are thousands of coaches in the market, right? Since the pandemic, more than ever, people have flooded in because it's such a great opportunity and you can help people and you can make great income. But not being able to run a business and not being able to set yourself up appropriately and focus on the right things seems to be a common flaw and people are giving up really quickly. People that would have amazing businesses and make great transformations for their clients are getting it wrong. They're not making money and therefore they're retracting from their dreams and the people that they could help. But think about it, though. It's only the same as someone being a brilliant hairdresser or a brilliant chef and just not having a clue how to run a business. There's loads of them out there as well. You, you, just being a great coach or a great speaker doesn't entitle you to have a great business because the discipline of running a business is very different to the discipline of providing the service. So, like I said, you know, your hairdresser, who might be brilliant at cutting hair or styling hair, has never been taught how to do marketing, how to sell, how to um, manage the financials, how to plan for growth, how to hire and train and manage a team. They don't know any of that stuff. Um, if they've worked in a company before, they might have seen somebody do all those things really badly, which is even worse because then they've got no they've got no model of what good looks like. So I think that the the distinction between the skill and the business the business stuff's the same it's the same it doesn't matter if you're a hairdresser a chef a life coach it doesn't matter the business principles are still the same um but i think we've put so much emphasis on the skill and not enough on the business and so what do you see because i know that you work with thousands of people coming through this space what do you see typically shows up where you're like okay you gotta unlearn this and you gotta instead really focus over here what are the classics yeah, I, th I think um, a few things. One, generally speaking, a lack of structure. So people are sitting down, you know, on a Monday morning with a blank sheet of paper and going, right, what am I going to do today? And they're just writing a to-do list based on, like, ideas that just pop up on that day. Um, and there's no strategy behind that. It's all just 
off the cuff, winging it. And I can speak about this with authority because it's what I did for the first six years I was in business. I just made it up as I went along. Um, and it got me so far. It got me to a point where, I, fortunately, because of the experience I'd had working in sales and because of my many years in the kind of Tony Robbins environment, I had enough to get me to a certain point. I was able to sell and I was able to provide a decent quality service, enough to get me to a certain point. Um, but it was complete chaos. Um, and I got stuck because what I was able to do on my own well, I wasn't able to then replicate and teach others to do. I hired a couple of people in my team, and but we, we, we got to a point of maximum capacity. I didn't know how to grow beyond that. So the first thing is a lack of structure in how you operate. And I suppose what sits alongside that is most people that start a business have got a natural tendency to gravitate to one of a few core disciplines. So like I naturally gravitated towards sales and marketing because that's what my experience was. And I was good enough at that to get to a certain point. Um, but I was rubbish at organizing stuff. I was rubbish at putting systems and processes in place. Um, my attention to detail is, has always been not particularly great. So I dropped the ball on lots of important things. So it's good, good at generating income and, and getting clients, but they're not so good at the detail of ensuring that all the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed. And so that was a big gap. I was also awful at managing money because I'd never been taught how. And historically, my family have been quite good at earning it, and it, but not very good at keeping it. So I carried on the family tradition, of course. Um, so, so I think we naturally gravitate to what we're good at. So there might be another person who's not so hot on the sales and marketing side, but they're brilliant at organization. The whole thing, like it, it looks and feels like perfect but there's no money coming in. There's no clients, there's no customers. Yeah. Um, so, so I think you'll have a natural tendency to gravitate towards one of what I call the four key disciplines, really, um, in any small business. Um, when I say small, I mean like you, you're in the early stages. Um, in no particular order, well, in probably in this order would be most appropriate. Marketing first, you've got to get your message out there. You know all about this, Joe. Then sales, taking that marketing um, and the interest you've generated and turn it into clients and customers and cash. Then delivering on the products or the service you've sold and making sure you've got happy clients. And then fourth, manage the finances, look after the money. Now, as you grow and scale, there are others, of course, you've then got recruiting team members and managing and leading and all these different things. But ultimately, in the early stages, it's those four things. And most people will naturally gravitate towards one of those four. Um, and the one you gravitate towards will probably be the one that you'll succeed most in, but you'll fall, uh, fall short in the others, certainly what I did. So I think it's, it's really about being good at all four of those disciplines and making sure you put an appropriate amount of time and energy and focus into each, um, which, like I said, I didn't do particularly well the first probably six years. I was very heavy on sales and marketing, but not so good on the others. Um, and then it was only in 2014 when I kind of learned um, how to create a structure in the business, which then allowed me to recruit people to take over marketing, take over sales, take over client experience and running the events and all of those things that we now have. We did not have before that. It was really just me. Oh, that's so relatable. I know I came out of 18 plus years working for advertising agencies in London and moving into launching my coaching business. I thought, well, this is going to be super, super easy because I'm so structured. But the problem was I got busy doing all the things and burned out in the first six months because I was just trying to take on all of those four roles simultaneously within 24 hours. And conversely, then went in the other direction. So I was like, I, I see it as being all in my masculine. And then I went, OK, well, I need to go with the flow and my intuition and spent six months walking barefoot through the forest, which I would recommend to anyone to do that, but not for six months solid if you intend to build a business. So I had to kind of find a way of actually balancing all of that. And the way I see it now is to go with that intuition 
but actually building the masculine structures, the soldiers for your business that really needs to be in place. You can actually move it forward without killing yourself in the process. So I love what you said around those four structured areas and making sure that you're really succeeding in all of them and not kind of going with the flow so much you're just leaning into the bits that you feel most aligned with and happy to follow and then let the others go yeah and I I like the fact that you you spoke a little bit about the masculine and the feminine Um, and I think either extreme is not going to be that helpful in your business so if you're not and by the way this isn't a man woman thing this is a masculine feminine energy thing but if you naturally tend to be more comfortable in your masculine energy as I am I'm really good at structure getting stuff done implementation um but where I fell short historically was some of the more feminine energy disciplines in the business and if you go too far on the extreme of feminine energy and don't have any masculine energy or any structure in there then it's not going to work either the hardest bit when you're starting is if it's just you you've got to try and in the same way that I had to cover marketing and sales, delivery, the finances. And I was good at some of those, but not all. Um, Same goes for this. Like if you're naturally more in feminine energy, you're probably going to be brilliant when it comes to really looking after the clients or the customers and making people feel cared for. And where you might fall short is more of the structured elements that are required. Um, You know, it, it might be that, you know, drilling out, 50 or 100 phone calls in a day to make sales that often requires more masculine energy to take on that kind of tasking that that might come more become more difficult for you or not feel like you're in your natural flow so i think the hardest bit when you're starting out when it's just you is that you've got to you've got to find a balance between both of those um of those energies it's where great business partnerships are an advantage so if you've got business partners that complement one another, then that that really makes it a lot easier because you've kind of got both sides of it covered. Yeah, and you call to the point about sales. And I can see that I've got some resistance going on. So that's telling me I need to ask this question, which is you talk about like making loads of calls and getting yourself out there. And clearly we need to get sales and we need to get out of our one bubble because people are going to resonate with our message. But if we want our business to grow, we have to get it out there and we have to have those conversations. What do you recommend with your background in sales and clearly having built such a phenomenal business as it stands right now? What makes the difference and how can a solopreneur put themselves out there and how can they get that done without that kind of ickiness feeling? What what would you say? Well, well, I think, first of all, how can someone put themselves out there? The, The first answer is in whatever way is appropriate for them. So I don't buy into you have to do video or you have to do speaking or live events or you have to do a podcast or you have to write a book or blogs or whatever you do what you're great at as i said right at the start one of the keys i think to success is self-awareness so if you are rubbish on video and you know you're rubbish on video don't try and build your profile based on a youtube channel doesn't make any sense but you might be an incredibly gifted writer you might be brilliant at that well in that case maybe writing a book would be the best way for you to raise your profile and get your message out there. Equally, you might hate writing, be awful at it, but you've just got a natural knack of using your voice. Well, great, like build your profile based on podcasting. And and I'm keeping, I'm I'm using a few of the core um, platforms, I suppose, here as an example, but you get what I'm saying. Like be self-aware enough to know what you're great at and then build the strategy for how you're going to get your message out there based on those skills. Um, That'd be my first thing. Look, the bottom line is we have to sell if we want to build a successful business. Now, what that looks like, feels like to you will vary. It will be different. Um, But ultimately we have to find a way to communicate with a potential client or customer and ask for money. Otherwise you're never going to, build a successful business. Now, how you ask for the money, whether that's based on doing, you know, one of the strategies that we've been using recently, is like a five-day challenge where people come into a Facebook group and we look after them for five days and teach them loads of great stuff. But at some point, I'm going to say, hey, 
if you've loved this so far and you want to continue working with us, here's how you do it. Here's a great offer. Go and buy it. Like, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not in sales mode in that, in that part of the process. So I think you've got to be okay and comfortable with the sales conversation. Again, you know, some people are naturally really good at that. If you know that is not your natural strength, then it might be that that's one of the first hires you make to bring somebody in that's really good at that. Or it might be a business partnership that you take on, somebody who's naturally great at that. Um, so like, for example, um, I have a few different businesses, but one of them is a partnership um, with a guy called Matt, Matt Elwell. Uh, it's called the Elite Closing Academy. It's a sales training business. Now, Matt is brilliant at sales and he's brilliant at teaching sales. Um, but he's actually not very good at, nor does he really want to deal with the structure in the business, the lead in the team. It just so happens that's the bit that I love. And actually, having run a business for many, many years, and I, I, I try, I've got to be careful what I say here. Like I, I'm very grateful for being able to do what I do. But there comes a point that's where standing in front of an audience every single day gets a little bit boring. Now, I know that you might be listening to this and going, if I could stand in front of an audience every single day and speak for the rest of my life, like I'm made. And that's how I used to feel as well. But when you've been doing it for like, you know, 12, 13 years, and by the way, like over the last few years in particular, like 150 days a year, standing at the front of a room talking, like I'm going, this is hard work and tiring. And if I want to now grow my business, I haven't got any more days that I can do that. If anything, I'd like to do a bit less of it. I don't want to do none of it. I still love running Expert Empires events and the masterminds that we run. Um, but bringing Matt and becoming partners with Matt in this business meant that he could do the bit that he was really good at and wanted to do. And I could step back from doing the things that I'd done a lot of and wanted to do less of. So I think sometimes a partnership could work well. Um, the biggest mistake I see people make with partnerships is like, they partner with their identical twin. So it's like you're, you're just finding somebody who can do all the things you can do, but they've also got all the faults you've got as well. That's, that makes no sense to me. Um, I, you're almost looking for your polar opposite when you're, when you're doing a partnership, in my opinion. Yeah, that's really good insight. And I think for a lot of people in the earlier stages of business, just outsourcing something that they really don't want to do, whether that's people jumping in the DMs for you or somebody helping you with the content and just create that ease in your business. You do the things that are your zone of genius and let somebody else get on with the bits that you don't like doing. Otherwise, you're going to just literally spin your wheels for another year trying to master things that you just can't do. And meanwhile, you know, your business is, is probably starting to get away from you over time and you're not going to feel lit up. And that's what the key is. I mean, certainly for me, the whole reason I'm doing this is because I love doing it, you know, helping people with their brand messaging and being able to bring in the skills that I learned in advertising, blending it with energetics, which is an area that I'm absolutely passionate about is what's made me happy for the first time ever in the job that I'm doing because I get to help people doing what I love doing all day long and I do for free, but I get to earn money with it. And so, you know, finding these levers and the ones that you're describing are in the business is absolutely gold really because so many of us at those early stages of entrepreneurship are going to find that if we fail at one of those, we're going to just decide that the whole business in itself hasn't worked so I'm, I'm sort of curious from the people that you work with, and I know that you work with a, a huge group of people that do a lot of different things, different expertise. What would you say was the common denominator between those people that really break through? And I know your masterminds are in tears. So those people that hit that six, that six figure business really fast or get to scale and so on. What are the difference between the ones that you see coming through your masterminds that are like smashing it and those that you could probably predict are not going to get where they thought they wanted to go? Yeah, interesting. Well, first of all, I learned a long time ago not to try and guess who's going to smash it and who isn't, because invariably I'll be wrong. <laughs> um, but and because so, and by the way, look, sometimes you you just know, you just get a feeling. You go, this person's got it, whatever it is, that X factor. Um, and sometimes you go, look, this person just like you know, the concept they've got is not like it probably doesn't 
it's it's probably not a viable business proposition. So there's there's those extremes, of course. But in most cases, I think um, those who succeed fastest, first of all, I do think, and this is not a popular thing to say, I do think that the people that have got the natural charisma are more likely to succeed. That is just truth. Like I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it or say that everyone's got an equal chance because that's not true. Like some people have got a natural charisma, they've got a natural ability to communicate, which I guess is what charisma is, and they have a much better chance of success. That's just the way it is. And and this is why I'm so bloody lucky because from 12 years of age, I was learning essentially how to be a great communicator. Mm. So. Then when I got to the point when I was starting my first proper business, I'm like, I got the ability to pick up the phone and have a conversation or literally point a camera at me and I can talk into the lens or stick me on a stage and I can give a presentation. I had that innate ability, which I think takes many years of learning and practice to master. But I did all that like when I didn't need to do it to make a living, you know, like I was giving presentations um, to like the staff at Tony Robbins seminars as one of the senior members of staff. I was giving presentations when I was like 18 years of age. So then when I had to do it for real, five years later to get paid, it wasn't new to me. I'd already built that. So I, I do think look, some people have got the natural charisma, but that's kind of where I'm saying everyone's got strengths and weaknesses. So have the self-awareness to know what yours are. Like if you're, great at speaking build your business based on speaking if you know you're rubbish at it but you're really good at the written word i I know people who never shoot a video never speak on stage very rarely even have a conversation with another human being but they've got successful businesses based upon writing content in and like uh, there's one guy in particular i'm thinking of um i don't know how big his business is but i'm going to venture and say it's multi-six maybe seven figures has got a membership site with a Facebook group. We post in there daily. The posts are great. I'm a member, just all of reading his stuff. Um, but he never does a video, or very rarely, um, and like never does much else other than written posts. But he's brilliant at that. So, you know, I, I think you've got to know what you're great at and then build your business on that rather than trying to be somebody you're not. Um, the, the second thing, like, like I said, the natural charisma or, or, or playing to your strengths, the, the other thing really is, um, you know, the, the really is no, there is no getting away from the fact that, you know, the more you're willing to, the, the work ethic bit really, it's the more you're willing to implement and take action and then not give up when it doesn't work first time. Because that's, I think, what no one sees. You know, you, you said to me, you know, I'm, I'm fairly open about my ups and downs and um, successes and failures. But like, you know, I, I got to a point where I built a multi-seven-figure business in 2015 and lost it. So just because you reach a certain point does not guarantee you're going to stay there forever. Um, you know, mid 2015, I started from zero and had to begin from nothing again. So you, you know, I, I think. Yeah, I think having um, the persistence to not give up as well when it's not working, because that's a bit that no one talks about is that, um, you know, the old adage is, you know, it takes a long time to become known like success. That's it. It's like tenacity. And I think I read a a stat the other day that said something about um, those people that are most successful, really breaking through in six figures, seven figures and beyond, are those people that keep at it. And although, you know, I think in this industry, we're too um, exposed to the overnight successes. Which, by the way, aren't true. They're not true. Yeah. Looks like they are. Remember, it takes a long time to become an overnight success. So all you, like, someone that is sharing the story of becoming an overnight success is only telling you this bit. What really I would want to know, if I'm interviewing somebody, I'm going, right, so yes, got this. Tell me about the 10 years that were preceded it, please. Because I want to know what happened there, because that's important, because you would never have done this otherwise. Yeah, exactly. So, so I think, you know, that that's probably a story that's not shared enough um, in our industry. By the way, there's one factor that trumps everything I've said that is the difference between people who like 
achieve success more quickly and sustain it. Um, and it's also probably the thing that enabled me to, you know, pick myself up off the ground when, when everything went to shit, quite frankly. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? You certainly are. Um, but you're editing anyway. You can always edit that out if you need to. Or beep me out. It's fine. No, it's staying. Uh, so um, number one thing, absolute 100% responsibility for what you think, what you feel, the actions you take and the results you get. The second you start blaming somebody else for any of that stuff, you're dead. Mm. Oh my God, that's so true. It's so true. And it's like one of the questions that came up, both a question I asked a client of mine and then in beautiful synergy, I was asked by my own coach on a slightly different topic. The question was when I said such and such isn't working or my client said the same to me, the, the question was, what have you done? What yeah. solutions have you tried? And of course, that question in itself says, um, uh, uh, well, uh, I sort of tried, but then I sort of, and it just becomes so apparent that you haven't actually tried, you haven't taken total responsibility at all. Well, and, and so, you know, what solutions have you tried or what have you done um, is a great question. Um, my mum, who's an amazing coach, um, uh, and obviously I'm biased, but I do believe she's an amazing coach, um, has a great question. And this might need beeping out. She's right potty mouth, my mother. Um, she's well in the 60s, by the way, but yeah, swears off a trooper. Um, and when somebody's got a problem or something that's not working, she'll go, so tell me, how is all of this your fucking fault? <laughs> in other words, how have you created this? Because it's, it, it's all well and good saying, well, Facebook changed the algorithm or this customer is being a pain in the ass or this member of staff's left or this member of staff's not pulling their weight or whatever it is. But the question still remains how the nice version not the Nikki V version. The nice version is how have you created that? Because if the member of staff isn't performing, guess what? I created that because I hired the member of staff. I'm at the point now where even then, I, I don't hire members of staff anymore. I have people in the business that do that. So then I have to, re I go, that member of staff is underperforming, pissing me off, wasting my money. I go, I didn't hire them, but I hired the person who hired them and I lead and manage that person who hired them. And I created the culture and the environment that allowed their poor performance to exist. So how did I create it? How this is this all my effing fault, as my mum would say. And I think that, that attitude, that question, um, it's not easy. It's, it's actually, it's really simple, but it's not easy because... No one likes to admit that they are responsible, accountable. They're the person at fault at blame. It's much easier. It's a much easier life to go, it's not my fault. Somebody else's fault. Yeah. Yeah. But then you get to reframe it because the next question is, so how are you going to change that? What are you going to do about it? And now it's back in your control. Ultimately, it gives you the power. You go, if you have the power to create that reality, that problem that result you weren't after you've also got the power and the ability to create something different instead so it just look I, i'm not saying that stuff outside of your control can't impact your life and your business what i am saying is that when you act as if it's all your fault it gives you the power and the ability to change it much more easily and to shift out that victim mindset, because this is not going to help you. It's not going to help your business. And I know, you know, I've been in that. We've all been in that at some point. And the ability to ask the right questions and lift yourself out of it and make changes is what's going to give us that tenacity and that that sustainability for our businesses. And, you know, I'm, I'm loving the fact that you're here after all these years with the ups and the downs coming through the other side to share the story with us today about, you know, what's got you from there to here. And by the way, Joe, to, to answer the question from right at the start, like being around Tony Robbins from 12 years of age, all through my teens, that one piece that I just shared there, that's it. I go, even like, you know, we're what, 27 years later, still, um, I, I did a post on Facebook, a, a few days ago I don't know if you saw it I just went 
27 years studying personal development summarized. Take responsibility for everything you think, feel, and do. That's it. If you can do that, that's, by the way, that is hard. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's hard to do. But if you can do that truly and crack it, everything else falls into place. Um, and that's the bit that I think that's the biggest advantage. I take it for granted. I just assume that, like, well, clearly everyone does that. And I don't now, because I've been doing it so long and studying it so long, I've been around those kind of people for so long. It's just second nature. And that's that's the bit that that's the biggest advantage I've had, really, I think. Yeah, I love that because I mean, you can learn the best strategies in the world, but if you're not going to take 100% responsibility, you're going to find they're not working for you and then you're going to bitch about them. <laughs> so. yeah. And by the way, would love to pretend that I get this right 100% of the time, but my wife's going to listen to this maybe and she'll say, well, what about the other day when this did, something broke at home and you were throwing things at it and cursing the person that installed that system in the house yeah that happens as well sometimes so yeah i'm not saying i get it perfect every time but but you know default into that position more often than not that's i think that that gives you ultimate power and control oh my god so true and i would love it nick would you be happy to share some inspired action for us this week something that we could take away and do simply in the space of less than a day that's going to make a difference for our business yeah there's so many things that i could suggest so I'm probably going to suggest the first thing that I encourage people to do, like, oh, there's so many. Right, okay. I'm, I'm In my head, I'm going, which one, which one? I, I'm, going to, I'm going to give you one that might be a bit different than you might have heard before. Um, ask yourself a couple of questions. The first question is, who do I know that should be working with me, that should be a client or should be a customer right now, but isn't? make a list of those people. Who do I know that should be a client or should be a customer right now, but they're not? Make a list. I guarantee anybody listening to this who's, you know, assuming you've already got a business, I bet you could list five, 10, maybe even more names. And all I would suggest, like you said, something you can do in a day, list the people out and phone them. Like, don't overthink it. Don't go, well, what am I going to say? Like, you know, like, don't try and script it or anything. Just make a list of people that you that you know could, should be working with you. They'd be a great fit for your products, your services, but they're not a customer or client yet. Make a list, phone them, um, and just connect and have a conversation and see where it goes. Like, I could give you the, here's how you structure the conversation, but for now, just phone them and reach out and see how it goes. You'd be amazed um, because most of the time, they're already aware of you and they were waiting for the phone call. You just didn't bloody make it. Yeah. And before anybody listening says, yeah, but I don't phone my clients. This is absolutely applicable for getting onto Instagram and leaving a voice note and starting a conversation, right? Just reach out. I mean, I, I would prefer you to phone them because then it's a two-way immediate conversation. But if, if you haven't got the phone number or whatever, like it's never been easier. Like you said, you could do a voice note on Instagram or, or Facebook or whatever. Um, there's there's plenty of ways to do it. Just reach out to them and have a conversation. Uh, you'd be amazed. I bet if you if there's 10 names and you reach out to all 10, I guarantee one of them at least will go, hey, you know what? I'm so glad you reached out because I've been meaning to speak to you about so-and-so. And then you've got, you, you've got an opportunity there straight away. Now, because I get the opportunity to just pick your brain just a little bit further, I know the sort of resistance that comes up for a lot of my clients and a lot of people I work with, which is, oh, that's a great idea and I am going to do it. And then they don't. Now, this is a mindset problem. It's not that they can't make a list. and It's not that they can't leave a voice note. It's just simply that they haven't done it. And what would you say to people that are kind of feeling like an imposter or less than or scared of being judged and all those things that typically crop up for coaches as they're building their business? What can they do to kind of get over that quickly? Yeah. My guess is that the resistance comes from a place of, I don't want to be seen as selling or being pushy or anything like that. So maybe see it differently. And the reality is that by reaching out to this person, you're coming from a place of service. Like you, the problem, the reason you're not, taking the action, reaching out, having the conversation 
is because you would be doing it for your own selfish reasons and that doesn't feel good. So maybe it's just an intention thing. It's like when you make the list, if your intention is how much money can I extract from these people, you're probably, if that's not who you are, you're going to feel really awkward and uncomfortable about reaching out to them. If the intention is I made this list and these are people that I know I can really help, my products, my services can really serve me, can make a difference. And, and you, you reach out without any attachment to them becoming a client or paying you a certain amount of money. You just reach out from a place of service, takes all the pressure off them. And then when you have the conversation and they go, I'm so glad, Joe, you reached out because actually I've been meaning to contact you. I've seen what you post. I've, I've been listening to your podcast or I've been, you know, I've, I've seen some of your posts on social and I think you could really help me. But one out of 10 probably will. Um, I'll go, oh, tell me a little bit more then about how you can help me. And then they're asking. Then you're completely within your rights to then tell them about your products, your services. But yeah, I think, I think it's the intention that's the problem. I think when you're coming from, if your intention is to get then it feels icky. If your intention is to just serve and give um, and you're not, you're not doing it with, um, I guess you're not doing it with any, uh, you're not doing it with the like, I want something in return. There's no attachment. There's no, um, I guess, strings attached to that conversation. Then I think it feels very different for you, for the other person as well so perfect so in summary get your strategy right but combine that with the right energy and that's when you're really going to start resonating and cutting through thank you nick you've been absolutely amazing i appreciate it so much if people would like to know a little bit more about what you do and learn about your business where's the best place to find you yeah cool two places um go to our main website expertsempires.com that's there'll be information about all our upcoming events masterminds etc if you want to contact me directly or um, follow me, Instagram is probably the best place. Um, I am at Nick James Events. Outstanding. Thank you so much, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. My thanks to Nick. And if you want to get in touch with him and his organisation, you can find those details in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to Goals with Soul. Like and follow us. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is at IamJo.Ingram. And if you're a coach looking to attract a steady flow of ideal coaching clients through your unique brand messaging, grab my free messaging checklist by sending me a DM at IamJo.Ingram on Instagram and I'll share all the details with you. Have an inspired action week. Take care. Bye now.